0: Hi everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of Laboring in Employment, a monthly podcast series on Asia employment law issues. I'm Wendy.
1: And I'm Clarence. We are part of the Simmons & Simmons employment team. For a number of years now, digital transformation has been a theme we've been hearing about in many sectors. Companies as diverse as banks, technology and pharmaceutical companies have all recognized the need to digitalize their businesses with many creating chief technology officer roles to spearhead this
0: and the covid pandemic has only accelerated this digitalization of the workplace
1: you're absolutely right wendy businesses are accelerating their digitalization drives and looking for ways in which they can best evolve in the new normal this of course, gives rise to various challenges and issues which will need to be managed.
0: In order to preempt this, Simmons & Simmons has developed the Accelerate Digital Roadmap, which is based on feedback received from our clients, in order to help identify and overcome the common challenges that are likely to arise along the way. Uh, Links to our online resources can be found in the landing page to this podcast episode.
1: I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say that a significant number of digitalization challenges relate to employment. After all, digital transformation is not just about technology, it's also about having the right people in place. So it would be good for us to touch on these today in order to give our listeners a flavor of some of the issues that we have identified.
0: Clarence, let's start off by talking about attraction and retention of talent. Obviously, companies need people with the right skills to help implement digitalization, and those with in demand skills do expect higher salaries. They are also understandably harder to retain given the battle for talent. What do you think employers can do to attract and keep the best people? Hmm,
1: pay better salaries? I say this partly in jest, but obviously the traditional and most often persuasive means to attract and retain talent is through cash. However, this creates pressure on cash flow and resources and does not necessarily ensure alignment between employees and the business's long-term goals.
0: We actually sometimes hear clients talk about hybrid remuneration models. Perhaps you can elaborate on this.
1: Yes, certainly. The example that comes to mind is pairing traditional pay, i.e. cold hard cash, with equity. This is less cash flow intensity for the company and, more importantly, creates an alignment of interests. Equity encourages an ownership mentality. Numerous studies have shown that if employees own shares in the business, it makes them feel more vested and responsible for the company this then translates into greater commitment if the issue of shares is not feasible for example because the company doesn't want to dilute shareholding an alternative that can be considered is the operation of a phantom equity scheme this type of scheme is cash based and doesn't involve the grant of actual shares to employees The awards are cash amounts derived from the value of the company's shares at a given point. Such schemes have often been used in mainland China for many years now, and this mainly is for historical reasons. But we are seeing an increasing uh, uh, number of companies who are using these schemes elsewhere. We also see companies across different sectors and not just in financial services using uh, a deferral of bonus awards and this as a device to encourage retention and deter um, talent from leaving the company.
0: Thanks, Clarence. I agree that um, remuneration is definitely very important to attracting and retaining talent. Separately, I think that the workplace environment and employee benefits, both tangible and intangible, can and should also be considered. The pandemic has shown that a lot of people want the freedom to be able to work flexibly, so they are more likely to decide to join and stay with a company that gives them that choice, such as the ability to work remotely or to work flexible hours. Other types of employee benefits which are less typical but focus on employees' well-being, which has become more and more important and attractive to employees nowadays, Include providing unlimited paid time off and family friendly benefits, such as enhanced maternity, paternity, and parental leave, and more unusual benefits, such as covering the cost of fertility treatment or providing one on one time with psychological well being specialists. And even in one case, allowing employees to bring pets to work, although I don't expect that last one to take off more broadly in Asia.
1: Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, There is so much that can be done to retain and cultivate talent. That said, I think we must remain realistic and recognise that departures are sometimes inevitable. In the context of this discussion about digitalization uh, and talent more generally, let's put aside departures based on personal reasons and focus instead on the more nefarious types of departures, such as team moods. We're seeing this happen all the time, aren't we?
0: Yes, we do indeed. Um, And often in respect of highly skilled employees and senior executives because of the skill set and experience they bring with them.
1: This poses a significant risk to the company because very often, these employees would have access to a lot of confidential information and important know-how. For example, data scientists who are responsible for analyzing customer data would often have access to sensitive client information, and software developers would have access to proprietary code and formulas. A team defection could be a huge setback for a digital transformation project. It is therefore very important for the employment contracts to include appropriate protections to safeguard confidentiality and intellectual property rights.
0: A question that we often get is whether garden leave provisions provide sufficient protection for the company.
1: I think garden leave provisions are certainly useful under the right circumstances. However, they are often deployed when employees are already serving out their notice periods. In that case, their efficacy could be undermined by an employee's statutory right in Hong Kong and Singapore to buy out their notice periods. It is therefore necessary to also consider if post-termination restrictions, such as those that deal with non-competes and the non-solicitation of clients and employees, are necessary for additional protections.
0: On the topic of restrictive covenants, Clarence, can you briefly talk about what employers need to bear in mind when drafting this type of covenants and possible enforcement actions since the position is similar in both Hong Kong and Singapore?
1: Of course, Wendy. This, in fact, is a pet topic of mine, so please cut me off if I start rambling. In summary, directly affect an employee's livelihood and ability to work. So they are void and unenforceable per se, unless two things can be shown. Firstly, that there is a legitimate business interest that an employer seeks to protect, such as confidential information, client relationships, or the stability of the workforce. And secondly, restrictive covenants have to be reasonable in the interests of the parties and in the public interest. This relates to matters such as the duration of the covenant, its geographical scope and the scope of activities which it seeks to restrict. The issue of reasonableness is quite important in Singapore and Hong Kong and unlike other jurisdictions such as Australia and the US. um, This means a covenant that is too broad may fail in its entirety unless the offending words can be severed by a court. i would consider a well-crafted set of restraints to be like a scalpel in a surgeon's hand unfortunately a good many of them we have seen are more akin to a blood-stained meat cleaver in a butcher's shot i think you get the picture
0: i have to say this is an awful analogy but there seems to be a lot to unpack from that
1: yes there's a lot to be said on this subject and i think it would be good to devote a future episode uh, to this at some point.
0: Yes, that sounds good. Um, And I take your point that we must ensure that we have well-drafted provisions in the employment contract to protect the company. By extension, it's also a good practice to remind employees before their departure of the obligations which continue to apply after the cessation of employment.
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, And a separate question we often get is in the context of bringing in specialist talent to assist the company with its digitalization journey. And this relates to the engagement of third party service providers. For example, if a company has headcount constraints and does not wish to take on specialist employees. Now, Wendy, what should companies pay attention to when entering into agreements with service providers?
0: I think the key is to ensure that the agreement clearly sets out the terms which govern the relationship so that all eventualities can be covered. These may include, for example, the applicable service fee and payment terms, how the arrangement can be terminated, such as the period of the notice required, whether a payment in lieu of notice can be made, and whether shorter notice can be provided under specified circumstances. Other terms include ownership of any intellectual property rights created during the course of the engagement, obligation of each party to ensure compliance with applicable laws, and confidentiality obligations and any restrictions which will continue to apply after the termination of the relationship. It also goes without saying that service providers are independent contractors and should not be treated as employees.
1: Thanks, and I think these considerations apply both in Hong Kong and Singapore. Last but not least, uh, it's important for companies, particularly those who intend to implement any large-scale digitalization, to ensure that they have a culture that embraces the transformation that will take place. Equi-hires, which refers to a situation where one company acquires another purely for its employees' expertise, has become more and more common, and it can be challenging to ensure that the culture and values of the two companies
0: are fully aligned. That's absolutely right. To achieve a digital cultural shift, employees need to be empowered and included in the change process. And in order to achieve this, companies should consider conducting an audit to understand their current values and culture. The Simmons and Simmons Wavelength team, which comprises data scientists and data engineers, can help to analyze available data and create dashboards which provide insights into a company's culture and identify where change is needed. The ability and willingness of employees to adopt and accept new technologies is crucial. A change program that upskills and trains staff, shares best practices and encourages engagement is key to the success of any digitalization project.
1: Thanks very much, Wendy. You know, we've covered quite a few topics and these are all fairly chunky, but unfortunately, I think this is all the time we have for today. Uh, I hope this has given our listeners some initial thoughts to chew on. Thank you once again for listening in. If you haven't already, please visit our Simmons & Simmons website to access our Accelerate Digital Roadmap. We have focused on discussing some of the issues and challenges uh, today, but the roadmap is more comprehensive and covers other areas, which are data, growth and regulation.
0: Do feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or would like uh, further information on our roadmap or anything else that you have in mind. Please do stay tuned for our next episode in May. Until then, take care.